What's up, y'all? Uh, I'm Adam Ogburn. I'm a Covenant member here at The Well, uh, UT student, so in, <laughs> enjoyed the game last night. And then here at The Well, I'm also in, uh, in the process of getting involved in uh, serving in Well Kids. So uh, today, our scripture, which I just lost, is going to be from uh, Luke chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 11. Uh, and the word reads, uh, on one occasion... Well, the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Genseray, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and then their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Adam. All right. How are we doing today? All right. Seems like the college students are doing good. I heard a lot of cheering over there. Um, well, hey, my name is Travis. I am the church plant resident here at The Well, and I get the honor and privilege of uh, bringing the word to you today. Um, for those who haven't been here the past few weeks, we begun a new series uh, about two weeks ago entitled Uniquely Jesus. And what we're doing is we're looking through what is called the Synoptic Gospels. So in the Bible, there's four specific books that are called the Gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those go over the life and teachings of Jesus. And then within those are three called the Synoptic Gospels. Um, Syn, S-Y-N, not S-I-N, meaning together or the same. Optic, meaning sight. And so the, they're called the Synoptic Gospels because they share a lot of similarities. They, they share a lot of the same stories and passages and teachings of Jesus. Actually, 90% of the book of Mark you can find in Matthew and 50% of the book of Mark you can find in Luke. So there's a lot of similarities within these three books, which is why they're called the Synoptic Gospels. But then there are some things that make them each book unique, different parables or different stories. And so two weeks ago, we talked about the persistent widow. Uh, and we talked about enduring in prayer and continuing to make our requests known to God. Last week, Tori preached a great message called the, uh, on the parable of the unmerciful servant, and we talked about forgiveness. And so today, we're going to hop back into the book of Luke, and we're going to talk about the miraculous catch. This is our first uh, message where it's not actually a parable. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, is basically what a parable is. Oftentimes fiction, so they're not really true. But what we're looking at today is a true story, something that actually happened when Jesus called the first disciples. And Peter uh, is going to be one of our main characters here. All right, and so it's called The Miraculous Catch. And in here, you saw in verse uh, 10 or 11, I believe, Jesus calls Peter and the disciples. He tells them, you're going to catch men. 
In other uh, gospels, he actually says fishers of men. And so I want to define what that means now because I grew up in church and maybe some of you did and so you know what it means to be a fisher of men. That's kind of a real churchy term. Um, For most of you who didn't grow up in church, you may be like, what does it mean to catch men? What does it mean to be a fisher of men? And so what it means is think about what a fisherman does. What does a fisherman do? Great job. I actually Googled that just to make sure like there wasn't some deeper meaning like here. I was like, fisherman, thesaurus, like opening it all in. And it was literally somebody who catches fish for profession or sport. All right. So that's what a fisherman does. So what do you think a fisher, you don't have to answer this one. Uh, What do you think a fisher of men then does is catch men. Um, And so oftentimes fishermen catch fish and that fish ends up dying, whether they sell it for profit and they make food out of it and it's sushi, or you take it home and grill it yourself. The point is that the fish is being caught for death, unless you're one of those catch and release people, which it's like, what's the fun in that really? Like if you're you're like winning, but then you're not winning at the same time. So, um, and so fisher of men though, is not catching men to bring them to a death. Although there is a dying to self portion, it's actually bringing men to life. And so as I say the word, as you hear me talk about being a fisher of men, there's something I want you to think of. Here's what I want you to think of. I want you to think of a follower of Christ who shares the gospel in hope of seeing that person brought to life in Christ. And so a fisher of men is a follower of Christ who shares the gospel in hope of seeing that person brought to life in Christ, okay? And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about making disciples, evangelism, reaching the lost, And I know that when we start talking about that, um, all kinds of different emotions can well up in you. Like all the missions people are like, yeah, let's go, let's get it. But for most of us, we're like, oh, I don't, disciples, like you kind of feel guilty because you don't feel like you share your faith enough. Or you feel shame because making disciples and sharing your faith sometimes often isn't even on your radar. And so you really feel kind of bad about it. Or maybe fear because you're intimidated to share your faith. All of these different kind of emotions can come up as we think about sharing our faith. But I want us to kind of breathe for a minute because I'm not going to give you, hey, here's the steps of what you need to do. Step one, tell them about Jesus. Step two, do this. I'm not going to tell you um, what to do as you fish for men, as you catch men, as you share the gospel with others. But rather, my hope is to show you who a fisher of men is is and what our lives should look like as fishers of men. All right, so let's pick up in verse one. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Not sure if I'm saying that right. I did try to look it up, but they taught me in Bible college, if you don't know it, just say it fast because most people don't know it. And I'm like, that was kind of a bootleg Bible college I went to, but uh, it wasn't DTS, obviously. Um, I was like, I don't know if that's good advice. I think I should put in the work to actually figure out uh, what, it, what it says. But, but so, so picture this, Jesus is by this lake and it's actually called, it actually is the Sea of Galilee. Luke is the only person who calls it this name, this lake, Um, and it's really small, like a lake, and so since Luke is a doctor, he's probably just being really precise in his um, language here, Um, but he's by the Sea of Galilee, and these crowds are pressing in on him, but why are they pressing in on him? It's to hear the word of the Lord. 
Like that is powerful to hear the word of God. Would that be true about the well? Would that be true about us as a group, as a gathering, as a crowd, that we would press in to hear the word? But not only together, but individually, would we press in to receive the word of God like these people. We'll come back to this here in a moment. Let's keep going in verse two. So these crowds are pushing Jesus. He's standing by the water. And verse two, he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into the, one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked them to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Verse four, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, let's pause right there. We're introduced now to a really main character in this story. It's Simon, um, who is oftentimes referred to as Peter. Um, and we're gonna learn what it looks like to, fish, to be a fisher of men from Peter. And the first thing that we see here is fishers of men have the word of God present in their life. So if you're like, yo, I want to make disciples, I want to share my faith, I want to evangelize, the first characteristic that we need in our life is the word of God needs to be present, both communally and individually. Verse three says that he taught the people from the boat. And so Simon was sitting there hearing amongst the crowd. He was here receiving the word of God communally, but he was also Jesus spoke directly to him, and so he was hearing the word spoken to him individually. So let's talk about communally um, for a second. I'm attending currently the How to Read the Bible class, all right? Um, I figured I'm planting a church, might want to know how to uh, read the Bible. That may be a, a thing to do. Um, it's actually so that I can teach it next time I'm auditing, but uh, sure, holy, yeah, don't judge, don't judge. It's not a good look. Um, and... and <laughs> And in the class, Steph and Michael Thompson teach it, and they said something here, and I'm gonna throw up one of their quotes here. It says, read the Bible in community. That's how it was originally read and learned out loud in the temple. First of all, I'm not quoting C.S. Lewis at all in the sermon. Like, it's not John Calvin, it's the Thompson. So they have arrived to some degree, okay? Um, they're actually teaching the class right now. I ditched because obviously, um, I'm here. But if you think, think about this for a minute, like read the Bible in community. This is how it originally was given, not just so that one person could enjoy it by themselves, but as a whole. And some of my favorite times, especially as I got to the well, some of my favorite times in the word is when I'm reading it with other people. It's on Sunday mornings in a gathering like this. Or exegesis tomorrow morning or staff devotion. And I know I'm a professional Christian, basically. I'm a pastor, so I get to like always be around the word. But, but even Wednesday nights at my CG, just opening the word and reading it together oftentimes is not more special, but a different kind of special than just reading the word on my own. I think about uh, sports games. I love going to sports games. I love watching sports games. And there are times where I just want to be by myself. I just want to crack open a cold Dr. Pepper, all right, on the rocks maybe, um, sit on my couch, have the snacks that I want, the restroom that I want. Maybe my son is allowed to watch with me, but it's just, it's, it's enjoyable. It's nice. 
But then there's times where it's fun to go over to people's house and watch the game and talk about the game and cheer together or to go to Q2 Stadium and watch Austin FC and be around everybody. There's a different atmosphere. Both are actually enjoyable, but one is done in community and actually feeds my soul in a different way. Like I enjoy those times by myself for sure, but then there's times where we're with others that is special. And and as I was thinking about this, I began to think about how it's like that with the word of God. Like we should have our individual time where we're in the word and we're reading it and we're, we're receiving from God, just us and the Lord. But then there are times where it's better done in community, which means that we actually need community in the first place. And so, um, but it shouldn't just be present when we're in community. Like heaven forbid that you only open your Bible when you're here with us or that you only open your Bible with, when you're with your CG but hopefully you don't just receive the word communally, but individually as well. Hopefully daily we are pressing in on our own to hear and receive from the word of God because it is the bread of life. It is food to our soul. It sustains us and keeps us alive. And without it, we're just gonna starve. And there's no way we're gonna be able to share our faith. There's no way we're gonna be able to make disciples. There's no way we're gonna be able to evangelize if we ourselves are starving. Jesus gives us an example here. It is the word of God that he is using to draw this crowd, to draw these men to himself. It's the word of God. We can have the biggest bounce houses. We can have the greatest events. We can have the greatest parties, but without the gospel present, we're not making disciples. We're just filling a building. And so the word of God is what brings men to himself. I'm not saying that all of those things are bad. I know Paul enjoys a bounce house every once in a while, right, Paul? Please. (laughs) Said, if the price is right, right, Paul? He's the finance guy. That's a joke. I'm not, I'll take that out for the second gathering. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not saying let's, let's completely throw all of that out. But what I am saying is faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of God. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of salvation for all who believes. And so if the word of God is what is used to catch men, let us then saturate our lives like our distinctive says, and let us be gospel-saturated people in order that we may reach the lost. The word of God has, ha- has got to be present in our lives. Better hurry up. Kendall's gonna get mad at me if I run over on time. Let's keep going. So the first thing, first thing, the word of God has to be present. If we're going to be fishers of men, we have, the word of God has to saturate our lives. Verse four, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets. So we don't actually know what Jesus says to the crowds, but we do know what he says specifically to Peter. And he tells them, take your freshly washed nets. Remember, they were washing them. Take those nets that you just spent all of that time cleaning, go back out and throw it back out. And some of y'all would be like, no, that ain't happening. But what is Peter's response here? Verse five, Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Exclamation point. He's getting some attitude with Jesus here. But at your word, I will let down the net. So not only was the word of God present 
in Peter's life, this fisher of men, communally and individually. But Peter strived to be obedient and, set, and did it. And so fishers of men strive to be obedient to God. If we're gonna catch men, the word of God is present in our lives and we strive to be obedient. Peter walked in obedience, actually twice. First, he got into the boat, pushed it out, and then he told them to take the nets, cast them back out, and he did that as well. We need to be obedient in every aspect of our lives. And in two primary ways, one, there are commands, there are, there are, there are, I'll just say commands. There are commands that we are to obey explicitly in scripture that are not up for debate. Like we were talking about this in our How to Read the Bible class as well. Like if Tori's up here and he's preaching, hey, shall not murder, murder's a sin, you can't say, you know what, the Holy Spirit doesn't convict me on that. I'm just not sure about that. Like, no, that is explicitly in Scripture. You have no say in it. Obedience is what's required there. But then there are times when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and the Holy Spirit leads us and the Holy Spirit is trying to get us to do something or abstain from something, and we are to be obedient in that as well. And so I believe we can learn a couple of things about obedience from Peter. Um, and number one, obedience sometimes goes against what we think is right or against earthly wisdom. Verse five, he said, we toiled all night. Like, I'm not a fisherman. I don't know if any of you could tell, but I haven't, I haven't fished in probably about 20 years. Um, but apparently nighttime is the best time to fish, or at least in this culture. And so Peter, or Jesus is trying to tell Peter to go out there, and Peter's like, we were out there at the prime time to fish, and we caught nothing. You're a carpenter by trade. I am a professional fisherman. Why would I listen to you? Yet Peter was obedient contrary to what he knew and experienced before. And as I thought about this, Proverbs 3, 5 came to mind. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Oftentimes obedience is tough to do because we have our own mind. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't seem right. I even think about church planting as well as the church plant resident. Um, that would be good to think about, learning to read the Bible and thinking about church planning, two, two top things. Church planters are oftentimes advised like, hey, plant a church within two hours of kind of where you're from, your hometown area. Um, you have relationships there, you have roots, you know the land, um, oftentimes you have more support. And so traditional wisdom, and there is wisdom in that, like plant somewhere where you're familiar with. Um, and so for me, it would have made sense if I would have planted a church in Northern California or the Bay Area um, where I'm from. That would have kind of made more sense. Or I had somebody in Southern California offer me $100,000 to help support this church plant, even though $100,000 ain't a lot in LA. Um, but I, it was offered, and so there was some funding here, there was some relationship here as well. Yet here I am, 1,800 miles away in Austin, Texas, where I knew nobody because all I had was a call from the Lord. And then it turned into a call from Tori. Hallelujah. And here I am. 
And so out of one step of obedience, it says, hey, it doesn't make sense that I'm leaving kind of my home area. It doesn't make sense that I would pass up on like support and, um, and people around me in Southern California. But it actually makes the least sense that I would go to a place where I had only been in Texas on a layover in Dallas for like one night and that was it. And I was a teenager. Like it made no sense at all. I think that's why the elders interviewed me for so long because they just wanted to make sure I was not completely out of my mind. But I'm not the only one here who's taken steps of obedience. There are people on the well staff team who left higher paying jobs to follow the will of God for their life and to serve in ministry full time. I don't want us though just to think about in terms of grand overall personal calling, but I want us to think about those every day decisions that we make that we are called to be obedient in that sometimes doesn't make sense. Like why would God tell me to walk over and tell that person that he loves them? They seem actually pretty happy. It doesn't really make sense, but it's those everyday decisions. I was in the college uh, DMI this last summer and um, some of the most successful or most fruitful laborers in the group were those who had never been to a DMI or been through a DMI. They were the most nervous about sharing their faith, yet because they were obedient in sharing their faith, when led by the Spirit, they saw men captured and brought to life in Christ, simply out of obedience. And so Peter was obedient. He didn't have a lot of faith. He didn't have bold faith. He had reluctant faith. And yet Christ was able to use that and to use his obedience. Not only is obedience something we have to overcome here mentally, but to physically do it as well. Obedience is just physically hard to do sometimes. Verse five, he said, I will let down my nets. Like I said before, I ain't been fishing in a while, but I remember with my grandpa, you take the worm, you put it on the hook, you do the string like that, you flip the thing, reel it in a little bit, that thing flips back. And that was pretty much it. And then it was like just Game Boy time at that point. Like, I, it was not fun for me um, at all. But, but it really didn't take, it really wasn't that hard to fish. And I know all the real fishermen in here were like, there's a lot more to it, bro, than that. But I'm like, okay, is there, like, maybe there is, like if you're hunting shark or whatever. But, but I mean, for the most part, it's at least not as difficult as what these men had to go through. Like they were out all night fishing, throwing out these heavy nets, not just casting a pole, throwing out these heavy nets, waiting, no Insta to scroll through, no YouTube to watch, just sitting on this boat with another dude, just hanging out, all right, let's check. Nets heavier now because it's soaked with water. Ah, dang, nothing. All right, let's move over here. Move the boat. All right, there's no little motors. There's no little engines. They got to manually move the boat, throw the net over and over throughout the night. They would have to do this. And finally, come home defeated. I went to a men's retreat one time, and these dudes were out there fishing, like nonstop, and they didn't catch one. I think the people of this men's retreat like lied to them because these men were out there like all the way waist up, like out there for hours. I'm like playing basketball, coming back. You guys are still here. I go play cornhole, come back. You guys are still here. Like they're just hours and hours. And then finally, when they come back up to the dining hall, 
oh, just discouragement all over their face. They look so defeated. They were like, why did I come to this men's retreat? Um, and so, like, can you imagine the defeat that they had as they pulled to shore with nothing to show from it, tired and exhausted, take the nets, begin to clean them, and then this dude, Jesus, comes and tells them, hey, can I borrow your boat? Can you push me out? Okay, yeah, and so Peter takes him out, and he's tired, and he's falling asleep while Jesus is preaching, and I'm reading into the text. That's not really there, but, but you could imagine. And then he says, hey, can you go back out and cast your nets again? The exhaustion and discouragement that Peter had to say, there ain't no fish there, but okay, I'll do it. And so he goes back, and he throws the nets in a place where Peter really didn't even believe that there was fish. He probably really just thought he was wasting his time. And sometimes it feels like Christ is asking us to do the hard thing over and over and over again. And it goes beyond even fishing for men. It goes beyond making disciples. Like just take the last two sermons. Being obedient to those two messages is hard. Like persisting in prayer like this widow, giving Jesus, giving God kind of this black eye because we are constantly praying, that's not easy to do. Thinking about the unmerciful servant and how he had to show forgiveness to this other man. That's forgiving somebody is not easy to do. It's actually physically and mentally tough to do. But just as Peter was obedient in casting the net to catch the fish, how much more obedience do we need to have to cast the net of God's grace in order to catch men and draw them in? And so we, the word of God is present. We are obedient to the word. And then let's keep going. Verse six, what else happens to Peter? And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they fill the boats, and they filled both boats, so they begin to sink. So after Peter hearing the word, after Peter being obedient to the word, he is now witnessing a miracle in a place that Peter thought would never produce any fruit. You ever have people in your life where you're like, I don't know if this person's ever coming to faith. Like people might have thought about you at one point, but through the power of God, through the work of God, all things are possible. Let's keep going, that wasn't part of this. Um, he, causes, he causes Jesus, does what only he can do by causing those fish to swim into that net. I can't even keep my cat off the bed, yet at the word of the Lord, these fish swim into the net, and if he wanted to, could have just straight up jumped into the boat. And so this miracle happens right before Peter's eyes, and so what is Peter's response? He doesn't try to bribe Jesus like, hey, let's go into business together. We could make some money. He doesn't go searching after another miracle to please himself. But in verse eight, it tells us, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus's knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter, the soon to be called fisher of men, heard the word, was obedient to the word, and was humbled by the work of Christ. Fishers of men walk in humility, understanding the work of Christ. And Peter, seeing this, had this type of response. When I think of Peter's response, I kind of think like, this is kind of a weird response. 
Like you would think this response would come from like a hellfire and brimstone. I mean, we don't know what Jesus was preaching, I guess, when he was teaching him, but you would think this kind of response would come from a real big like heavy turn or burn type of sermon, but it's actually just from him filling the nets through this miracle. And But Peter sees this, being a fisher of men, knowing that this can only be a work of God, and seeing Christ extend grace and kindness to a man who doubted, and, Jesus, and Peter, excuse me, could only fall to his feet. The times that I feel most broken and fall to my knees, which even as I was preparing this, I began to think, when was the last time I even had the posture of falling on my knees or laying before God? But the times that I feel most broken is when I see God do something spectacular that I do not deserve. And Peter is seeing this. Peter understands his heart. Like, I doubted. I, had, I did not think we were catching anything. Yet your grace and your kindness and your mercy gave us abundance. Peter's doubt shifts from Jesus' fishing abilities to doubting his own holiness and he began to see Christ as holy. We will never make disciples if we are not humbled by the gospel, the ultimate miracle and work of Jesus. And oftentimes we look at stories and we're like, where is Jesus in this story? We were joking about this at Exit Jesus. And it's like, he's literally right here. He's literally on display is the gospel. As I think about Peter saying, depart from me, I think about Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned. They were trying to hide from the presence of God. They were trying to get away from the presence of God. So Peter is saying, depart from me. Get your presence out of here. And we all deserve that. We all deserve this kind of hell, this, this missing God's love, this missing of God's presence. But rather than give us what we deserve, Christ comes and finds Peter finds him humbled and doesn't just depart from him, but he actually calls him to join him in this mission. Because Jesus is the greater fisherman who humbled himself by being obedient to death, death on a cross to catch men that would repent from their sin and believe him as Lord. And Peter saw Christ in a new light. Look at what he says in verse five. He calls him master, but now in verse eight, he's calling him Lord. Are we humbled by who Christ is, by the work that, he do, that he's done? Recognition of Jesus as Lord is what brought Peter repentance, not his obedience. Like what we just talked about is so important and it's so vital, obedient, Follow the word of God. Follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Like Jesus even said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Obedience is so important. Yet it was, it was Peter's repentance that actually led him to salvation. It was seeing his sinfulness that led him to salvation. And we must remember that. Lest we grow proud and feel like we can graduate from the gospel. As Christ shows us the gospel in that he doesn't depart from Peter but calls us, calls us in to join him. But maybe you're like me in that. Like maybe at times you feel like unworthy of that. You feel like Peter. You feel like how can I bring others to Christ when I myself find a hard time bringing myself to him? How can I bring others to Jesus when sometimes I forget to go to Jesus and maybe you struggle to bring yourself to him? 
Be encouraged by Peter and by Peter's story. Jesus knew all that Peter would do, yet he called him anyway. He knew that he would have to rebuke Peter and say, get behind me, Satan. He knew that Peter on this very sea would begin to walk on water and doubt at the same time. He knew that Peter would cut off the ear of a soldier. He knew that Peter would deny him three times. Yet in the midst of all of that, he called him to join. If you would continue to humble yourself and be fishers of men. We don't walk in pride and arrogance, but in brokenhearted boldness. As we tell others, hey, I was a beggar and I found bread and it's over there. It's in Christ. I think about Tori's message last week and how he had the two bags of rice. I was like, you could probably add 10 more of those and it still wouldn't measure up to all I feel like, how I felt God so many times. I feel like it wouldn't add up to the amount of sin. Like, I feel like I am Peter. I have given God so many reasons not to love me. Yet none of them were strong enough to change him. Fishers of men respond humbly to the work of Christ. Every day we respond humbly to the work of Christ and trusting in his work, trusting in his obedience for salvation, is the only way we're gonna make fishers of men. And so let's be humbled by the work of Christ. Let's continue going in verse nine. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men, fishers of men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Lastly, fishers of men treasure Jesus more than anything. They left everything and followed him. Are we willing to leave anything and everything because Jesus is greater? They left the greatest catch they had ever seen to follow the one who made that catch possible, Christ, and these men would actually give it all. Peter, church history would say that Peter was crucified, hung on a cross, yet actually upside down because he didn't think himself worthy to die in the same way as his savior. Andrew, crucified in an X-shaped cross in Greece. James, in Acts chapter 12, he dies by the sword, probably beheaded. And John, the only disciple not martyred for his faith, um, still suffered persecution, and he was actually boiled in oil at one point. Christ may not be asking you to endure all of that, but are you willing to leave the comforts of this life that more men might be caught by the gospel of God? And so there's not steps here. There's not, hey, go do this. Go tell people about Jesus, then do this. Like, go to DMI. I would encourage you, next round of DMIs, sign up for DMIs. But if you're like, I wanna make disciples, what do I do? And just start here. Start treasuring Christ more than anything. Start walking in obedience to what you know. Saturate yourself with the gospel and allow the gospel to humble you daily. 
As you think about this message, I want you to ask yourself a few questions as I pray. What areas of your life do you need to be obedient in and let down some nets again? I want you to ask yourself, are you allowing shame, sin, and guilt to stop you from being where Christ would have you? And is there something preventing you from stepping into the calling of being a fisher of men? Let's pray.